the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Good Saturday afternoon to you. You're listening to Woods and Water South Carolina on 94.5 WGTK-FM in Greenville. The answer. Not that I have any answers for you today. Sorry. All that answers. My my quote quota for the year is full. Don't have any more. All out. No. <laughs> glad uh, glad you tuned in. Um, it, I'm actually not here today. I mean, I'm here, but I'm not here. You're hearing my voice, but I'm not in the studio today. If you listened last weekend, uh, we uh, uh, I talked about a charity dove hunt that I'm going to today to benefit a young lady who is uh, having some major surgery. In fact, she had it this week. Uh, as of right now, I don't have any results, but um, we're going to go raise some money for a great cause and and shoot some birds to boot. Uh, it, man, they, they got food. Goodness gracious, they've got food. Um, we're going to have lunch. Uh, then we're going to, they're going to draw for, for stands, going to have the shoot and they've got raffles and all sorts of fundraising stuff. And then we're going to have like a, I think they said a low country boil and, um, some other food. So like I said, there's, there's lots of people out there wanting money for this money for that. Um, you just have to pick and choose what you want to do. And uh, and this is one of those things I'm going to do. We're going to we're going to support this family and uh, this lady says she's actually in Minnesota. It's where the surgery was scheduled to take place. Hopefully next week when uh, I do a show for next week, we'll have some some really good news. Just some just some useless information, which I'm full of anymore. Did you know on your South Carolina South Carolina tax return? Now, <laughs> I have done this for Robert McCullough in the past. There is a, a way you can donate to the Department of Natural Resources. Actually, not the resources, but to some of their programs on your, on the, on the tax credit form, um, on the South Carolina return. But there's also one in here that I had never seen before. It's code 051. So remember that code 051 on your South Carolina tax return. It is a venison for charity credit. Okay. $75 for each. It says carcass of deer meat prepared by a licensed meat packer, butcher, or processor plant for charity. I didn't, I had no clue. So for those of you out there, and I know there are a lot of processors who are doing this pro bono and they do it for a reduced amount, but if you are paying to have a deer processed and you are taking it to the local soup kitchen to, uh, in a halfway house or whatever that is as a as a designated 501c3 you can take up to $75 for each deer that you take and it'll save you about 4% so 4% so 10% $7 you know it's not going to be tremendous but there's an incentive there so $8 or so a deer or $6 a deer but that's interesting didn't know that 
Learn something useless every every day. Uh, how'd you like the snow? Everybody get out in it. Uh, I, the four wheelers were out in force. Uh, sledding. I did not get on the sled. I'm, I'm a year past <laughs> getting a thumbs down from the control room over there. <laughs> Look, I'm a, I'm a year past the expiration date on sledding. That, that went out when 50 was over. I'm just, besides the fact that when we sled at my house, the hill everybody wants to be on almost straight down. And I just, I don't want to break something. It's not that I don't want to, I don't want to heal from breaking something. So anybody out there have a, you know, have a collision or something and now you're paying for it. Well, it's probably worth it in the long run, but it was beautiful. Man, I love the snow. Hey, we had so much sleet. I had, I had probably six inches of snow at my house, but then I had an inch of sleet come in and just kind of pack it all down. And, um, but it was beautiful. I, I love the snow and it looks like based on long range weather forecast, we're going to have a wetter than normal winter. With the possibility of a colder than normal winter. So this might be just the first round of uh, what could be a very cool, cool year. Um, the ad canceled. Discovering nature. Is this you? This needs to be you. 47% of parents of tweens reported that they had recently searched online for a nearby Forester Park, up from 35% in 2011. And this is just all part of that continuing thing. Kids want to be outside. You know? And there's plenty of places in South Carolina to get them outside. So hang on through the break. we got Ken Cope from the Department of Natural Resources talking about an upcoming duck clinic and some of the other uh, outreach programs. So more on the other side of the break with Woods and Water South Carolina. Champagne Jam. Good song. Good song. I love my buffer music. What do you think, Ken? Sounds like, good. Sounds good to me. Uh, uh, the first time I ever had someone from the Department of Natural Resources come to my show, it was Eddie Montz. Back in, it was late 2014, early 2015. And he came in. <clears throat> everything was great. We were joking and laughing. And he came in here and he put his gun on the table. And he says, depending on how this goes, only one of us may walk out of here. Luckily... My DNR guest today still has it in his holster. So the possibility is still there that if this goes sideways, I might not walk out of here. Right, Ken? You're good to go. I <laughs> promise you. No, I, I'm, I'm glad to have, and I appreciate him taking the time. Uh, First Sergeant Ken Cope from the Department of Natural Resources with me on Woods and Water, South Carolina. Thank you for taking a few minutes. It's my pleasure. You were in the area. Fortuitously, you were in the area. Yep, I was picking up a shotgun for a donation for one of our upcoming shotgun tournaments. And you, you were telling me you just had a tournament. Go, folks, y'all are going to be amazed at the growth. I mean, I, I'm part of the NASH program because my daughter shoots it. And I, I've been to some some sporting clays functions down at the National Wild Turkey Federation, uh, Palmas Shooting Complex. But tell me, y'all had a shoot last weekend. Tell me some of the details. We ended up having a skeet shoot last weekend. And our sport is growing, with shooting sports, has grown so much. We actually had to have it in two locations. We had one at the DNR range at Watery. And we also had another one going on at the same time at NWTF where we shot right at 450 kids. And that's skeet, folks. You know, that's that's the low tower, the high tower, crossings and stuff like that. That's just one half of the shotgun sports that's that right. DNR offers. We got That was the skeet uh, qualifier. We had the trap qualifier coming up next month. 
then we'll have the championship, yep. and then we'll have the the common the the open Opens. to where That's they right. have the skeet and the, and the uh, trap championship that day. Yeah, and then we'll have the sporting clays. And the sporting clays is in the, the governor's cup. All at the all of it together. Amazing, these kids being involved in outdoor sports. It's amazing. It, it's, we've getting so big with growing. Almost, we're gonna have to start having qualifiers or something else because we don't have the facilities around. <laughs> well, anyway, and we're, and we're having you know archery. There's NASP archery tournaments are growing every year. The high school bass fishing, which is really not a DNR thing, but they're having three, four hundred boats show up to a high oh, school yeah. tournament. All of the sports. It's, it's great to see all these kids in the sports these days. It's, Keeping them out of trouble, yep. keeping them on the waters, keeping them the safe way to use firearms, yep. the safe way to use archery equipment, yep. and we're teaching them that, and they're loving it, and the sports are just growing. And I love the interaction between the Department of Natural Resources at these events and the kids. You know, you hear Mr. Green Jeans, and you know one of my favorite characters is Sneed out of the Patrick McManus books. Warden Sneed, you know, he's such a sneaky guy. And uh, one of my favorite stories is there's there's three guys went night hunting, and they go way back in the woods, and they shoot this deer, and they're pulling it out, you know, carrying it out, and one of the guys goes, "Man, this is great. You know, I can't imagine do- doing this by myself. It's, it's good to have four of us, you know, carrying this thing out." And one of the other guys goes. There ain't supposed to be three of us. And one of them goes, ain't supposed to be none of us. And that's Sneed. So <laughs> that's a good way to answer. But the interaction, not on the law enforcement side, as most people think of when they think of game wardens yeah. and Department of Natural Resources, but on the, the safety side, the having fun side, the camaraderie, right. uh, the sporting side. It's that's great. Right. It's the partnership with these kids. I yeah. mean, the, the fellowship and everything we have with these kids that, it's a positive aspect for us and not a negative if we meet them out in the woods or something. That's right. Which could be. But we try to educate them out here so we don't have to run into them in the woods. That's the exactly right. Yeah, I, the only time I ever got in trouble, I cried. Sorry. Forgot my hunting license. 16 years old, forgot my hunting license. And it was my neighbor, Ken Fleming, was a DNR officer back in, this would have been in the early 80s. And he and his partner came around checking dove fields, and I was there and didn't have my license. And I just, and I, it wasn't so much as I was violent. And all, I disappointed him. I, you know, I said, I don't have my license, you know. And he's put him in the back of the truck with handcuffs on. <laughs> <laughs> I just lost it. I lost it. But yeah, the interaction is a great thing. And, and we're going to talk more about the, the, the outreach programs, the take one, make ones, and all that in just a minute. But the real reason you're here is because we got a duck clinic, clinic coming up. We have a, call it a waterfowl clinic because we do the geese too okay you know, but it's, it's just the waterfowl and the ducks uh it's coming up january 21st in york county um 10 to 17 years old we try to get the kids go to the uh, dnr website right you can find it there you can find it on our facebook page we're on sc department of natural resources tomo right for take one make one right you can go on there and request an application and send it to the assistant, Mariana. Mariana. And she will send you an application back by email. We have to cap it off at 25. Sure. But usually sure. we still have about 30 people there. Yep. <laughs> Sorry about my phone. It's all right. <laughs> it happens. It's the wife calling. It's the wife. You might better answer that one. She's Sorry. coming from the web center. Oh, she's coming from the web center. That's right. Y'all had the um, the industry yep. meeting this the last couple of days. Yep. Um, okay. Waterfowl. It's a. It's not the easiest sport to get into, as far as hunting goes. It's it's really in depth. So, do you find in these programs 
especially the waterfowl, do these kids already have some experience in it and just want more? Some of them do, but some of them are very green. Okay. I know when I started off duck hunting, my brother told me to never bring my duck hole again because I could not use one. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I've, I've learned more and more. My son can call a lot better than I can. Yeah. But with these clinics, we start off from pretty much the woods okay. to the table. Okay. We teach them how to, to call the birds. All right. Uh, how to identify the birds because, as we know, there's certain species you can only have so many of each bird. Sure. With only a, a maximum of six birds, period. Right. Um, and then we teach them how to clean them. Okay. Different ways to clean them if you want to cook the whole duck. Okay. And then we also teach them how to cook. Ah. Uh, we'll get them there and we'll set them out. A lot of times we do something simple. This time, this coming time, we're going to do fajitas again. Okay. And we'll right. just cut them up and sure. they do peppers and everything. And we cook fajitas out there and we're going to have a duck bog. We're going to have a, oh, um, yeah. A duck gumbo. Okay. We're going to try it all. All right. And see how see these kids like some of these foods. Yeah. Um, duck hunting is a hard thing to get involved with. But, you know, the younger you get involved in it, the easier it is to learn. You and I starting off, you know, I started off duck hunting when I was in my probably mid, early to mid-20s. And I had kind of the same reaction. I was in Louisiana because, you know, we, we shoot a few wood ducks here. But that was about it up along the Broad River. Got some good sloughs along the Broad River, still hold a lot of birds. Um, but big trip was we were going to Louisiana, and, and I got in the blind with my guide, and we I started calling, and he, hand me, let me see you call for a second. Took my call, he threw it over in the corner of the blind. He said, don't ever pick that thing up again. But kids seem to pick right. this stuff up so much quicker. I'm about in the same boat. I grew up in the swamps of Hampton and Allendale County yeah. and Salkahatchee and Coosahatchee. I never knew any duck but a wood duck yeah. and a Maganza. Yeah. And that's all I ever knew Yeah, until I started hunting some of these other places sure. and going. But, yes, it, it's, if they start learning it, um, we were supposed to have actually Ed Paul from the oh. Waterfowl Association. Oh, man, he's a good one. From Camp Woody. Yep. Um, we had to change locations, and he couldn't make it okay. after that. But, yeah, he comes and does our duck calling since he is a champion he multi-times over. Yes. And he's very good with the kids, and he loves doing it. A lot of hands-on in this course. All of it's hands-on. All of it's hands-on. If you don't participate... We'd rather have some another kid there okay. wanting to get their hands dirty, learning how to do all this. I mean, we even sh- take target practice. And okay. We'll, we'll do sh- certain um, with the skeet throwers, right. with trap throwers. Sure. We'll set them up at different angles so they can have different aspects of birds coming in. Duck hunting is about ballistics. <laughs> I think that's a chapter in somebody's book. It might be Gene Hill's book or somebody like Gordon McQuarrie or something, but a chapter on ballistics because a duck is a – it's a it's a moving object. He's coming in at you, down away, you can turn ninety degrees up, in no time. In no time. So it's it's a challenge. Um, okay, so they're gonna they're gonna get some classroom in instruction. Yes, in ducks. Gonna have some calls there for them to blow. We're gonna have calls for them to blow. We'll also have um, our legal section. How we teach them the leg- legality of it. Okay. Um, what all they need to wear. What all they need. To have to go duck hunting. Okay. To be legal um, with the license, the stamps, federal, state. Um, right. Migratory hit permit. Well, your hit permit. Hit permit. That we teach them all that they need to know about for the most part. You know, we, there's a bunch of duck hunting laws out there. Oh, yeah. So. Yeah. It is. I will say this is a lot more complicated than when we were kids, though. Uh, I, I got into it just after the point system <laughs> where you really had to know what duck you were oh, yeah. in the air. 
And, and that's one of the important things about in, in any kind of hunting is knowing what you're shooting at. Right. Knowing before you pull the trigger. And, and that's the important part because yeah. years ago, probably when we both started hunting, it was two wood ducks. That's right. Now it's gone back up. It's gone up to three. three. And we do what we try to do what the feds ask us. Right. That's right. Bird limit wise. Because yeah. they kind of sit the in, in duck hunting, if you don't know, the, the Federal Fish and Wildlife Service sets the migratory frameworks and yes. they say you can't start before this date and you have to be done by this date and you have to have a break in between and a break in between and that's what we do here in south carolina we follow yep. their we just fit inside their framework with it right ducks has got to have one break doves have two breaks that's right so kind of going to a charity duck hunt dove hunt um uh, this saturday Good luck. Uh, down in Joanna, and they're expecting to have like 2,000 birds on the field. And But it's a, it's a lady that's having some major surgery done, and it's just a little charity thing that Sounds. they haven't put together. So it's going to be fun. So, yeah, it, it's complicated when you get into migratory RFL. This is just one of the things that y'all do. I have been to deer hunting 101 courses that y'all have taught at the National Wild Turkey Federation. Uh, you had a turkey seminar at cabela's which you said was your first this past that was spring the, that was my first one that i ran by myself okay um, yeah was last past spring uh we do it's a wing shooting clinic it's for like dove and quail okay we do deer we do turkey and we do the waterfowl okay right. we've actually started the last couple of years we started doing college clinics we partnered up with clemson university okay. and we're doing college clinics with them and we're trying to get into more colleges because we feel like that one might be where we're losing the kids. And that's uh, Brett Staten. Is that who started that at Clemson, I think? Kind of did a little research into the college, take one, make one thing. I think he, he started, and then now Sherry's doing it. Okay. Um, which is interesting because the co- kids have to have a parent or a mentor, somebody that can Correct. provide everything, get them to and from, and then keep them going. College kids, thank you. Back in the microphone here. Um uh, College kids have usually a mode of transportation, right. some spare time, a little spendable money some here right. and there, and they're finding out that they're really interested in getting outdoors. And we try to take the financial burden as much as possible off of them. Okay. Uh, with all of our hunts, even the college hunts, we have mentors with them so they don't make a mistake and shoot the wrong type of okay. animal. We also provide firearms for them. Um, a lot of people are worried about with the mentors – all of our mentors have to go through an NCIC check. In other words, background checks. We right. do not let anybody just get up a deer stand with the kids. Sure, sure. Uh, I went through that. I don't know if I passed or failed. Eddie never told me. <laughs> I'll have to check your file. Yeah, check my file and just on the side let me know. <laughs> but, uh, but but there's another interesting, you know, we, we talk about hunter numbers dwindling, and we talk about reactivation, retention, Recruitment, right? R three, R three is a big movement. Um, mentors, that's something anyone that can pass a NICS check, correct, can do. Tell us a little bit about what you're looking for in a mentor. We want, we try our best to get an advanced hunter, okay, or a sportsman that knows what they're looking for. Especially like we were talking about with ducks. Yeah, if we would have mentor for duck hunting. You've got to know how to identify these ducks before sure. you put them in your hand. Sure, once sure. it gets in your hand, it's illegal. That's right. That's right. Uh, but these mentors, we want positive role models for these kids. Some of these kids that we deal with come from broken homes. Some of them's just homes that the parents don't know anything about hunting, but their kids want them to learn. Okay. So they bring their kids, and I've, we've had them bring them from the mountains all the way to the beach. Oh, wow. They travel sometimes to go to these Really? Um, 
I just put a hunt on my brother's property a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I had one of the DNR officers down in Hampton County uh, sitting, and they saw over 20 deer. Never pulled the trigger. The kid didn't. He's like, they saw plenty, but they was waiting on just a perfect buck. Yeah, so yeah. And that's cool that a kid that young can show that kind of restraint. Yep. And they, I know. I promise you, when I was a young kid, I <laughs> know. I wouldn't. Have when really. I was a kid, I was I was by the the prophecy <laughs> of yeah. if it's brown, it's down. down. Yep. Well, um, and back when we were shooting a deer, was a big thing. Oh yeah. I mean, there just weren't eight hundred thousand deer running around South Carolina back then. So, well, that is good information. January twenty first, nine to two, uh, free youth duck clinic. York County, if you're interested, contact, uh, go to uh, the DNR website. You can get you, get in touch with Marianna Mason, okay. and she will send you an application by email. Fill it out and send us, send it back to us. And you can also go to the DNR website, look up Take One, Make One if you want to get involved, if you want to explore some of the other things that are going on. Yep. If you go to the DNR website, click on the icon for Hunter Education. Okay. For education. education. And it pulls up all of the format so we have we have the hunt we have the shooting sports we have the national archery in the schools and we have the tomo we have the fishing program fishing program aquatics program yep. on there i was at the uh the awards dinner tuesday night for that and uh got some good statistics i'll share with you later on after in the next segment or so about that program which is growing every year uh anything else you want to get out there have we covered it pretty much all for the most part, we've got it. Just okay. we try our best to get our kids out there and get them on a positive role model. Get get them to learn that it's not about what you take; it's who you take. Who you take, and get the kids out there. I love it. Yep, and they do too. Because some of these kids, like you said, have never experienced any of this, and that that wonderment in their eyes when that sun rises is is something that'll live with them forever. That's right. Those are seminal moments in their life. Well, Ken, thank you for taking a few minutes to uh, hang out with me. Not a problem. Luckily, his, his gun is still holstered, folks, so <laughs> my life is safe, for at least till next time. But I appreciate it. appreciate all you guys, what, what you guys do down there at DNR, whether it's the education or the enforcement. we got to have both of them. That's right. And uh, anytime you guys need a, a voice, just let me know. I'd be happy to help you guys out. I appreciate it, and I'm yes. sure I'll see you at some of the events. Oh, absolutely. Those events are starting up here really quick. And, and the uh, next three months will be chaotic. <laughs> That'll be chaos, but it's a good chaos. Oh, yes. It is a good, a rewarding chaos. Oh, yes. See all, right. all the smiling faces out there. That's it. Well, there you have it, folks. If you're interested in the Waterfowl Clinic, it's coming up. Get a hold of DNR. If you're interested in anything else that uh, DNR is putting on, you know the website and the education icon leads you to a, a new world. That's right. Appreciate it, Ken. Back with more Woods and Water on the other side of the break. Hang on. Welcome back to Woods and Water, South Carolina. Hope you uh, enjoyed the segment before with uh, Ken Cope from the Department of Natural Resources. The neat thing about those programs are is that they are free as much as possible. You don't have to pay anything to go to them. You know, you you come back with a bag of goodies. I've, I've seen kids and all their swag. Uh, 
you know, they, they eat Tomo programs pretty much free. And that's one of those outreach things. You know, obviously sporting clays is not free. You got to have a gun, you got to have shells and all that stuff. But as you start off, it's nice not to have the financial investment in it and to be able to, to go to those events and see what you need before you make that and, and actually get your fingers in it a little bit before you make the financial commitment to, you know, in, in this case, duck hunting. Uh, let's don't go there. <laughs> duck hunting is probably more expensive than deer hunting. Let me think about that for a second. Yeah. I mean, you know, a, a, a good, uh, I shoot a Benelli shotgun. So, and it's one that I can, and I have fallen in the creek in the mud and the duck blind or whatever else. You kind of just shove it down in the mud to break your fall and you wash it out. You keep going. I mean, you need a good, a good, tough, dependable gun. So that's a lot. If you're, <laughs> okay, I splurged back when I was younger and I bought cork decoys. They're hand carved cork decoys out of Easton, Maryland. Uh, and that's, I was just in that stage where, yeah, I may, I love to go duck hunting, but I enjoyed watching and all the stuff. And I like good decoys. So I, I've got a bunch of cork decoys at home. Well, I'm not going to say how much those things cost me, but anyway, I have them. And, you know, and that's, you know, waders. If it's cold, you need a, a I like, I liked breathable waders. Because I can wear it early season, teal season, all the way through January. The thing I did is I coupled them with a good base layer. And then uh, Cabela's at the time, I'm not sure if they have any more, had uh, fleece waiter pants. Uh, Velcro closure around the uh, around the top of your ankle and a, uh, a strap that went underneath your arch of your foot. So when you pull the waders on, the pants didn't ride up with them. And then coats and gloves and, oh, we can go start talking about duck calls. Well, let me tell you one thing about duck calls. You can spend a lot of money on a duck call. Trust me. I haven't ever spent enough. I haven't ever spent that much money on a duck call. After the first instance where my guide took my duck call through it in the blind and said, don't ever pick that one up, he gave me a Jensen wooden call. Double read. He said, that's the only call you'll ever need to blow. And, of course, me being young and impressionable and in the blind with a guy with a gun, I said, yes, sir, and... Pretty much that's, you know, I've got other calls that I've accumulated over the years because they were in an auction or something like that. But the ones that I hunt with are those Jensen or Sure Shot wooden calls. You know, they double read, triple read, um, Drake whistles. Just that's where I've been my entire, the entire 40 years I've been duck hunting or 30 years, 30 something years I've been duck hunting. Um, but yeah, one of the best piece of advice you can have is is buy a duck call, practice, 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 and leave it at home when you go duck hunting. <laughs> and then if you're really into duck hunting, and this is where the rubber meets the road, you need a retriever. You need a retriever. Ducks ducks that swim are hard to catch when you're walking after them. You need a dog. So there's a $750 Labrador retriever or something, and all the food and maintenance and all that goes along for the next 10 to 12 years and 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 then if you're the ultimate duck hunter you have to travel canon north dakota i like to go to louisiana there's good duck hunting here in south carolina especially in some of the dnr draw hunts which i didn't get to cover this year it was on my list of things to talk about but we have some very good category one waterfowl areas here in south carolina the draw hunts 
along along the coast, the Bear Island, the Cape, um, Santee Delta, East and West. We have some very good duck hunting, but you, you got to travel to get duck hunt. <coughs> guides are not guides are not cheap. And then you start looking for specific ducks. I want a cinnamon teal. I have yet to see one in flight. They're Pacific Flyway ducks, California. Uh, hunted down in Texas on the Mexican border several times, but I never got one. Never saw one. So yeah, it's expensive, but anyway, hey, do it is. But <laughs> just to show that's where it starts with a simple duck seminar. Cool stuff. Anyway, uh, look, Christmas is coming up. Um, and, I, and I know I've, I've given away a lot of tackle and stuff like that. And we're actually going to do Christmas in January because I'm not done yet. But I'm not here today and I won't be here next week because of Christmas. And But we're going to do some giveaways in January. But um, I want you to listen to a clip that I pulled off. It's it's an old it's a nature nature valley granola ad about generations, and I, I want you to listen to this and consider where your parents are or were, where you grow up, what you did, and then your kids. Listen to this ad. When you were a kid, what did you do for fun? So we go blueberry picking, for instance. Uh, just that's so cute. <laughs> but it's true. We grew watermelons, um, plantains. I found an old sign which was big enough for me to sit on. It made a great toboggan. It was very slick, very fast. <laughs> I had a few fish in my basket, and I looked up on this bluff, and here's this black bear sitting there watching me. If he starts chasing me, I'm going to keep throwing the fish out of my basket until he's gorged, and he won't and he won't bother me. And what did you like to do for fun? You know, you go door to door, get a group of kids, and you play uh, lots of games, uh, hide and seek, just going out to the field and playing baseball. And we built these massive forts, you know, the kind that you can actually sit in and, and, and play in, you know, with, with our friends, and it was just really wonderful. So what do you like to do for fun? Video games. Definitely. I like to go on my phone, text. Some email. My favorite thing to do in the world is definitely watching videos and playing video games. Those take up so much of my time. Three hours or t- three to four hours a day. Same. Five hours straight. Just last week, I watched 23 episodes of a TV series in less than four days. I forget. I'm in a house. I have parents. I have a sister. I have a dog. I... Just think I'm in the video game, I completely get lost. I would die if I don't have my tablet. Whenever I feel upset, I'd play video games and I'd feel normal. It's really wonderful. When your daughters grow up, your great-great-grandkids, what do you think will happen if this trend continues? It's scary to think that they'll never have to leave the house. Cindy grew up uh, doing a lot of the things that I did and, and enjoyed. And I see what uh, my grandsons are doing today, and it's, uh, it's mind-boggling. By the time they have kids, it's going to be a really different environment. I actually feel a little sad because I feel like he's missing out on what's out there in the beautiful world. Yeah. 
you know, I, I know tugging at the heartstrings, beating you over the head with a two-by-four, whatever it is, that was three generations. And, and how far removed from nature or being outdoors, just playing outside, we've become in three generations. And, you know, it starts with with us continuing getting those kids outdoors. It starts with us parents, neighbors, you know, taking that kid down the street who's being raised by a single mom fishing or getting a neighbor together and going for a hike, you know, a family hike, two families going out outside. I know. Uh, I shouldn't do that to you at Christmas time, but I want you to think about what you're doing at Christmas. There's uh, look, video games, technology, it's here. It's not going anywhere. I wish I could get rid of my iPhone. I would love to go back to my Motorola Razor, the little flip phone. That was the best phone I ever had. And I had the bag phone back in the early nineties. Or actually my wife did. Um But it's here to stay, but you you've got to you gotta figure out how a ways to get kids away from it and exposed to nature. It, it's, it, it, I got stacks and stacks of stories about the benefits of being outside for kids and how they're losing. Well, you, if you listen a week or two ago, and I had the, the clip from Dr. Richard Louvre, that kids are essentially only using two of their senses now, sight and sound. You know, because they're spending so much time looking at screens and listening. And that's their gateway to the world. No, that's not the gateway of the world. That's the gateway to a lot of things. But the gateway of the world is out the door, down the road, and into the woods. And that's what I'm trying to get you to this Christmas is you're buying things for kids and all. Take a chance. Buy a hammock. It's as easy as that. Buy a pair of binoculars and a bird feeder and a bird ID book. It's just that simple sometimes. That's where it all starts. Get a, get an appreciate for it early, and they'll be invested for us in our lives. All right. Here's the music coming up. So we'll take a break, come back with the last segment of Woods and Water for this week, and I'm going to talk a little deer hunting in the next segment. So hang on through the break with more Woods and Water South Carolina. to Woods and Water, South Carolina, the final segment of today's show. Thank you for being along with me for the ride today. It's uh, it's always fun to be in the studio and talk about the outdoors and things we can get out there and do, because that's one thing we can, we can get out there and do it. To whatever extent, it's out there and it's welcoming us. Come take advantage of it. I wanted to, uh, it, we didn't, I didn't have much of a calendar of events, but I did want to visit, mention uh, the sponsor, Visit Anderson, Green Pine Landing and Event Center which has a lot of things coming up in the next two or three years as far as fishing goes. It's just going to be amazing, folks. Hang on for the ride. But uh, if you are looking for something to do, there is a gun show in town this weekend at the TD Center. I'm sure there will lots of deals and lots of things you could put under the tree come uh, a couple weeks from now that you can buy out there. So uh, head out and uh, and see what's new. I haven't been to a gun show in so long. Wow. 
I need to go to one. I need to go. But it, there again, you got to have money to spend. So uh, maybe maybe not this year. Got a wedding to pay for, folks. Yes, sir. Got a wedding. Um, I had some news here. I got to go Tuesday night down to uh, down to Columbia to the annual uh, fishing clinic, the family fishing clinic, end of the year banquet. Sarah Shabane with DNR uh, Aquatic Ed Outreach has a program uh, where volunteers l- learn how to teach a fishing 101 class, and they teach you pretty much how to put a rod on reel together. Thread the line, tie on a hook, sinker, some live bait, learn how to cast and go fishing. And uh, these are all volunteers. And I, I tried to write down the statistics, but I missed it all. So I, I emailed Sarah, and she sent them to me. Uh, there are 126 active certified fishing instructors in South Carolina. They hosted 67 clinics last year with 1,996 participants. They donated over... Th- 1,372 hours uh, from August 2017 to July 2018. And that's just like the Ken and I were talking about the shooting sports and the, the um, you know, the take one, make one stuff. All that is reaching these youth and reaching, and in this instance, these are families. I mean, most family fish, most fishing clinics are geared around families. So you may have 10 families get together and have a fishing clinic. And you're reaching two generations, parents and kids. So good job to Sarah. She she works very hard on that program, and and, and thank you to all the volunteers. And there again, I'm a, I was in the first class, and we were arguing about this. I think it was December of 2012 when they initiated this program, and I went down to Columbia and was certified as a fishing instructor. And <clears throat> I've yet to teach my first course. <laughs> Good intentions, but boy, did things get busy. And of course, with the radio show, I have to, there's only so much time. And I, that's just one of those things I just don't have, haven't had time to do that I would love to change in the future. I'd love to be down there and getting a pen saying you've been an instructor for one year or two years or three years and six years for some of those people down there. It's great. If you're interested in, in becoming a family fishing instructor or having a family fishing clinic put on in your area, Sarah Shemaine at DNR, uh, go to the, I think it's the fishing link on the DNR webpage, webpage, click it, look for aquatic education, and there you go. I've, I've hit on this article several times, and I, I said I was going to just pick my way through it, but I want to run over this. It's, it's a Quality Deer Management Association article that talks about ways to conceal movement while hunting. And, and, and earlier I've gone over, you know, traveling to and from the stand, how to screen yourself going in by by either planting a crop an annual crop and screening your approach to your blind or stand or you know a more permanent you know woody uh, screen like i don't know pine trees or something like that uh how to use terrain to get in and out of your stands so you're not either silhouetted against the skyline or you know, crunching through the woods, use a gully or something to get through there. How to put your stand at the end of a dead end road. You know, just make it where going into your stand has no outlets. Deer may go in there once, but they're not, they're not going in there and start using the trail. A lot of people cut a trail to their stand that leads right into a food plot or right into a, 
another area and, and the deer start using it because look, deer are going to use the meth, the path of least resistance. So if you cut a path right by where you're going to hunt and put your stand up, the deer are going to start using it and walking right by you. Uh, so how to make a one lane road in there. Um, and then, uh, you know, don't walk across your food plots to get to your stand. <laughs> kind of defeats the purpose of, you know, the, or walk across the trail to get to your stand. That, you know, kind of lets them know you're there. I don't care if you wear rubber boots. You, you carry some kind of scent in the woods and you just don't want that. So, and this is one of the things when I, especially this time of the year, later in the year, tr- leaves off the trees. You can see a lot. Uh, it slowed down some. And if you're in there, you're, you're probably all bundled up and very warm on the inside and all. And it just gives you easiest time to plan for next year because planning for deer season for me has already started. I'm already starting to say, I want to do this next year and I'm going to, I'm going to tweak that a little bit. I'm not going to ever put my stand over here because I have yet to see a deer over there. That type thing. So let's keep going on the stand. Box yourself in and it says, don't use a stand. Ground or elevated, elevated blinds have walls. Just be sure that it's installed well ahead of the time you plan to hunt so deer become accustomed to its presence. You know, we talk about a deer knows everything in its elements, everything in its backyard. It knows exactly where it is. So you got to get these deer time to, to get used to this. And a lot of people say, well, gosh, if I leave a stand here for years and years and years and years, the deer learn to avoid it. No, they learn to accept it because it's part of their terrain. Now you still have to watch your, your, um, your scent. You still have to watch the wind. But yeah, there's some, man, that, that, uh, double bull blind from Primos that's, you can see out, but you can't see in. What a great ground blind to use. So, or a box stand, which I plan on doing a couple of those this year. Uh, natural backing. You know, where I'm scouting trees to hang a new set, I always look for opportunities to use natural backing to break up my silhouette against the skyline. Did that this year. I used a bunch of pine trees, even though I'm in an oak tree in the edge of the woods or out from the edge of the woods a little bit, I'm screened behind me with pine trees. I'm not silhouetted at all. Any way a deer looks at me, they're pretty much looking at pine trees unless they're dead behind me. And if they're dead behind me, I did something wrong anyway. So look for that. Uh, with hardwoods, though, in the springtime, you're going to have leaves concealing you. Uh, those are going to fall. You're not going to have those. And I found that out this year, which is why I'm never putting the stand where I put it, that one this year, next year. So use the natural backing. The natural camouflage is out there. Uh, fake, fake backing. If you don't have it, create it. Um, you know, we used to use it in duck blinds. You, you brush it out. You know, hey, brush out a stand. They make fake tree limbs and leaves and all that stuff or use something natural just to give you that breakup, especially if you bow hunt and you bow hunters out there know exactly what I'm talking about. You know, brush it in. There it is. Um, you know, Cut some stuff, cedar limbs, pine limbs. You know, if you got a ground blind, they say never have something square in the woods, which is funny because all tree stands are square to some extent. But, uh, you know, brush that, break it up, break it up. That's a good one. And uh, just finally, move slowly. And this is maybe the best advice of all the article says, move slowly like you're navigating a minefield. Be hyper aware of your surroundings and simply realize that every time you scratch your nose, check out who posted on Instagram or scan the field in front of you, hoping to see that giant buck you've been catching on trail cameras all month, you could be spotted. Each motion must be purposeful, 
and they must be at least five times slower than you normally move to do the same activity. <laughs> this is especially true when getting in a position to shoot, such as grabbing your firearm or drawing a bow back. Remember, you are a predator. Act like one. This is an article by Matt Ross from October 17, QDMA Magazine. Just a great article for deer hunters in, in general. And, I, and one thing I've noticed going in and out, even if it's dark, man, I take my time going in and coming out. Going in, you tend to go in in a, in a I mean, I'm in a hurry to get the stand. i got to get the stand, especially if it's before dark. But take a little time, slow down a little bit. I've got a, a friend of mine who taught his boys to almost do the bunny hop, the 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 squirrel. As soon as they hit something noisy, they almost do the squirrel. Sound like a squirrel, you know? Well, squirrel's pretty natural. Um, but just some good advice for you, deer hunters. I know it's it's late in the season. Some of us have quit hunting. Some of us are still out there. I I I went through kind of a stage where. I really quit hunting after November. I was like, it's over and done with. I don't want to, I'm tired of getting up in the morning going deer hunting. I'm tired of not seeing anything. I've gotten to where I kind of like that late season stuff. Yeah, granted, I don't see many deer, as many deer. But it's, uh, like I said, you can see a lot more because the leaves are off the trees. Um, the woodpeckers are really red this time of the year. And there's still a lot of wildlife out there. And if you're, if you're a true sportsman, outdoorsman, you learn, you never come back to the house and say, I didn't see anything. Now we do because we're always talking about, I didn't see any deer, but you always saw something. There was always something out there that you would not have seen sitting on the couch watching football games. So anyway, uh, I think this is, this is the last, well, I'll be, I'll have a show next week. I'm not sure exactly what I'm going to do. But I do want you to remember that we are going to do Christmas in January. Uh, everybody that won so far this year, I believe, should have everything. Um, for those of you who didn't get anything calling in, January's coming. And I got some good stuff in January, true. I did not give everything away this year. I've still got more green fish, more Zoom, uh, got Luz, uh, got some Shimano stuff. Uh, a lot of you perked your ears up right there, didn't you, huh? Because that's not clothes and that's not bait. That's rods and reels. So, yeah, got some good stuff coming up in January. I uh, I do want to take this opportunity. Thank you for listening, all of you that do from week in, week out. Some of you just tune in once in a while. It's always fun to meet you when I'm out there. It's always fun to see the lines light up when you give stuff away and, you know, hey, somebody's getting something for Christmas that, you know, Somebody gave to me, and I get to give it on to you guys, and it's fun. I enjoy doing that. So, anyway, thank you for that. Hope uh, hope you have a great Christmas season filled with family, outdoors, food, and some fun. So, another week's gone. Thanks for listening. As always, make time to get out there. Take the back roads when you can. Buy somebody a pair of binoculars this year. It's fun to watch them use them after you give it to them. So, Thank you. Have a great week. Back next week with more Woods and Water, South Carolina. In my mind. 
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.